Outside Centre with Dr. Dark. Well, welcome to this afternoon's show. In the studio with me, I have Dr. Ivan Burgess. Purchase? Birch? Burgess. Burgess. Yep. And uh, you're from Bromley, but we'll come back to that again. And you're working in Wolverhampton at the moment. That's right, yeah. And how long have you worked in Wolverhampton? Nearly 10 years now. 10 years. Time to move on. You should never be anywhere more than 10 years. No, I like it here. <laughs> so do you live in Wolverhampton? I live in Kinver. Kinver. So it's 20 minutes drive in to work every morning and 20 minutes to drive back. Excellent, excellent. And so we're going to talk about a learning disability project to do with health. Tell us, has it got a title? Um, I'm not sure whether it has got a title, um, but um, um, it's, a, it's a project to help uh, people with learning disabilities uh, get fit and stay healthy um, by trying to um, reduce their reduce uh, the number of people we've got in our services who are ob obese. Is that quite a high proportion? Yes, as you probably know, Paul, um, obesity is a problem for the general population. Unfortunately, lots of people in the general population are, are overweight and that has impacts upon their health. But for people with learning disabilities, it's an even bigger problem. Um, we've done some research locally and in our day services, we found that 75% of the people who attend our day services with a learning disability were overweight and uh, nearly 50% of those were clinically obese. What do you put that down to? I think it's a, a, a number of things. I mean, I think for people with learning disabilities, sometimes it's difficult to know, for them to know to be, that they haven't been taught or they, they, they've had difficulty understanding what is healthy things to eat. But I also think it's a, a big part of the problem um, is that um, people with learning disabilities, unfortunately, have rather sedentary lifestyles. Um, unfortunately, uh, not a high proportion of people with learning disabilities work. Um, they go to day services and um, they, they live rather passive um, lifestyles. So there's a variety of, of, of factors that contribute to people being, with is, disabilities being overweight. Sorry. Is there a genetic element to it at no, all? No, no. Because I think a lot of people think there is no no especially that's for example with down syndrome that's not a major contributing factor to, to levels of obesity no right. it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle issue and i think you know the interventions and the support needs to be to take it from a lifestyle perspective it's about about educating people on what is appropriate to eat giving them skills and opportunities to do that and giving people the opportunities and skills to have rather more active lifestyles than, than unfortunately that many people do at the moment so given, because I, I do generally believe that people do think it is a genetic thing, including many of the parents, what are parents a problem? Um, they're not a problem. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't want to say that. I think they're... I would. The, we'll, well come to what okay, I would say. Okay, <laughs> but, but they're key players. They, they, they are very, very influential. People, people with disabilities are often um, um, rely upon, reliant upon their carers. You know, who cooks cooks their food? Who determines the size of the portions? Um, uh, the carers, whether they're relatives or paid carers, are very influential in that. So, th not only have we got to work with people with learning disabilities to teach them um, how to, to to lead healthy lifestyles, but we need to work with their carers to inform them what what um, what, what would be helpful for their son, daughter, or their mm. their, their their clients if mm. they're if they're paid carers. Well, because because we're running this uh, disability and obesity project, and we've got three or four people with learning difficulties on it. Great, but not just the learning, but the other ones. And and I think my my uh, conception so far would be that uh, parents stroke carers are are a big issue to the yeah. extent. Well, I th I'd say we've had two. 
where the parents are actually pulling them out of it. Right. Because it might work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a little bit disturbing, sure. and they want them to be as they are. Sure, sure. I think sometimes um, people are... Um, how do I put this? So, sometimes we, people have, have a degree of feelings of guilt about people with disabilities, and uh, it's easy to give somebody, you know, lots of cakes or Mars bars to try to relieve relieve their guilt, mm, mm. Um, and um, and and that that um, isn't in the person's best interest, unfortunately. So, what are you practically doing on this? Okay, well, this project. is kind of a, a research research project. It, mm. it, it, it started from concerns that colleagues in our day services had about about the levels of obesity so we 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 looked at the people at the day services um, we assessed their weight um, and their, their body mass index and we came up with a proposal um, to see how we could we could try and help help the people in the day services it's really important to get try and get across that this is this is a collaboration between a number of different professional groups. So the staff at the day centre have been very, very important in getting this going. Our community nurse colleagues and some of the psychology colleagues and uh, some of the people from our research and development um, service have been involved. So it's a collaboration between a range of professionals. So we assessed uh, the people who went to day centres, realised that we did have a significant problem. And then we looked at the research evidence. We looked at some good practice across the region. I think uh, one of the community nurses and psychologists went over to Coventry where they've tackling, tackling, have a similar problem and are tackling it in a, tack, been tackling it for a year or two and to get, the, to get their ideas. And on the basis of the research we did and um, finding out good practice uh, uh, across the region, we came up with a, a model um, which involves essentially meeting with uh, the people that go to day centres, a small group of people who go to day centres on a weekly basis and helping those individuals set goals. Those goals are quite wide-ranging. Some of those goals are about um, practicing um, skills that they've already got, um, like maybe cooking skills, so cooking healthy meals. And some of it is about goals about informing people, about um, giving people um, um, ad advice about what is healthy to eat and what is not healthy to eat. Some of those goals are about people having do more exercise. So perhaps suggesting or, or encouraging people to walk to the day centre rather than go by bus to the day centre or to look at the, the curriculum, the programme of activities in the day centre to take on some more active things. I think the, 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 the people who um, run in the project were also able to get hold of um, some of these wee machines and uh, the, the service users have found that really good. They can, they can have exercise when they go to the day centre and, and it find it enjoyable. So um, the, the people going through this, this, this program or intervention each week meet up with, uh, with the staff at the day centre, the psychologist that's, that's involved in the program, and they set weekly goals. Um, they they agreed between the service user and, and the staff, and they plot their progress. Each week, I think, the, uh, the service users weigh themselves and they keep a record of how much activity they're doing and what they're eating. And so it's, it's a range of different interventions that are working together. Um, and um, we've got some, we've been doing it for three months and we've got some very encouraging results. And when will it finish? Is well, it time limited? It is really because we've got, we've got um, short term funding for this project um, and uh, we haven't yet secured 
funding to make sure that we can continue this program. But I'm, I'm optimistic that we will be able to secure the resources to make this, this approach available to a much wider group of people than it currently is. At the moment, there are 30 people going through this program. So it's only a very small proportion of the people that need this sort of help. So, but this is a test, so we can see whether the way we, we think is going to be helpful actually works. There's no point doing it for lots of people if it doesn't make a difference. Mm. But we've been doing it for three months, and the, the results are encouraging. 60% um, of the people actually have lost weight, um, and the, the weight that the weight um, that they've lost is, is is significant. I mean, we're talking about um, five kilograms for some for some of the individuals have, have lost five kilograms, and that is beginning to beginning to um, that, that sort of level of of weight loss is beginning to make an impact upon people's health. Mm. Mm. So, how did you find the participants? Um, through the day services. Y yes, we w we 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 went to the day services uh, at the invitation of, of some of the staff at the day services. We were concerned about this project. We spoke we spoke to the service users. We got their consent to be involved in this. We spoke to their carers as well, and a number of them were very keen to do that. And I think it's a really good question because when I was looking at the um, at the at the reports that were coming from people doing the project, one thing that really impressed me was the f that nobody's dropped out. So people are enjoying it. Mm. And if you look at these sorts of interventions for the general population, you know, like Weight Watchers, a lot of people register to do it, but after a few weeks they give up. But is, is there an element in which if you go to a day centre, you can't not go? Um, there's a bit of a trapped audience there, um, but the people who are running it are, um, are very ethical about this. And if service users didn't want to do it, they would make that very clear mm. and they would vote with their feet. Mm. Um, and or, or just not succeed. Yeah, not succeed or, or, or be, be, be difficult during the sessions. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case. Uh, uh, um, last week we, um, we had a, a, um, a, bit of a, a bit of a conference and uh, one of the service users that's been involved in actually going through this program stood up and talk, talked in front of a hundred people about his experience with a lot of passion. It was, it was very, very impressive. And so what, what kind of things are going to be left as a legacy of this project if you don't get long-term funding? Well, uh, there'll, be some, uh, there'll be some equipment, <laughs> the Wii machines. I think that they will, we've raised the conscience of lots of uh, the staff involved. I mean, this is now something that people who work in the day services are, uh, are thinking about. Uh, you know, the, 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 the staff who serve the, the, the food for the, for, for the, the people who attend the day centres will be thinking now about the size of the portions and what sorts of food that they, they present. I think the people who are responsible for organising the curriculum, the, the range of activities, will try to encourage people to take on more active, um, uh, uh, active, uh, more active pursuits than perhaps they did in the past. But I, we must find a way of making sure that this is continued and developed and ex extended. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, one of the things that I must take responsibility for. My colleagues have done the hard work in terms of, 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 of designing this and delivering it and evaluating it. And, uh, and as the clinical lead for the service, I must uh, make sure that we find the resources to make sure that this, this is available for mm. people in the future and for, for a, a bigger group of um, of service users. So would your aim be to roll it out not just for people with learning difficulties but people, perhaps people with just physical ones as well? Uh, uh, one of the things, one of the philosophies that um, uh, is, is very strong in, in, in supporting people with learning disabilities is the idea of inclusion and I really think that the sorts of interventions and sorts of approaches we're using 
for, for this client group are generalizable, applicable to the general population, a much wider population. And um, I think that um, we, we do. We, we, I wouldn't want to see, I don't like seeing things being special for people with disabilities. Mm. Um, I think that we need to, 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 have a, to, to be inclusive. Mm. Um, sometimes you need to tweak things a bit um, because people with disabilities have difficulties understanding things. Um, but um, it's tweaking. Let's talk a bit about that, about the difficulty in understanding. What what kind of strategies are you developing to try and get to get the message across? Well, the the people involved in doing the project are using a lot of pictorial information. Um, we um, make sure that the language we use is um, is simple and straightforward, and we check out people's understanding. We explain things to people. You know how to open a tin of baked beans, or show people how to open a tin of baked beans. But then we get we see whether people can do it, mm -hmm. and we get people to test it, test it. Um, so um, you know, I think that's a real big challenge in terms of working with people with disabilities is having the skills to communicate effectively to people with disabilities, but to empower them as well to communicate to the people who are supporting them. So mm -hmm. I think learning disability services are pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. We need to be better at it. But you know, we the, the 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 people going through these programs have their own files, and they're written in a way that people can understand. A lot of pictorial information, photographs, so it, it's personalised and it's pitched at a level that the service users can understand. Mm -hmm. Why is it important for people with learning difficulties to be fit and healthy? Why? <laughs> Same reason why it's important for you and I to be fit and healthy. For the 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 consequences of of obesity are really, really uh, quite frightening. If people are, are clinically obese, they're reducing their life expectancy. By 12 years, in the case of people with disabilities, if people are clinically obese, they're gonna die on average 12 years sooner than they should do. And that's a pretty important consequence. People who are clinically obese are far more likely to suffer from coronary heart disease, from diabetes, and some forms of uh, cancer. But also, I think we need to think about the psychological impacts of being overweight. What does that do for people's self-esteem? Uh, what does that do for people's quality of life? And unfortunately, many people with learning disabilities do have self, low self-esteem already. So if, if there's something, that, something like obesity, which is something we can, I think, with relatively um, unsophisticated interventions, mm -hmm. make a big impact on, that's got to be good for people's mental health as well as their physical health. So why do you think Wolverhampton is a fat town? Fat town, because um, <laughs> it is. Yes, yes. I think there's a lot. There's, it's it's a, it's a complicated. It's a complicated um, situation. It's a, it's a multitude of, of reasons for that. I think that the levels of um, obesity are related to poverty. Um, I think that um, uh, it's also related to the to the level of activity. We've got high levels of unemployment in many parts of the city, unfortunately, and people have passive lifestyles. Um, um, so it is. It's. It, there are variety, a variety of reasons. You know, I know my colleagues in public health are really um, working hard to tackle that. It, this, is a, this, is, this issue of, of obesity is a responsibility of a number of different um, people. Mm. The, the person themselves has got to take responsibility. Mm. Um, you know, and I think what we're trying to do is empower our, 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 our clients with learning disabilities to, to take responsibility for their own health. Mm. Don't rely upon their mum and dad. Don't rely upon the paid staff. They've got, a, they, 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 they've got to take some responsibility. 
you you asked earlier on about the role that parents or carers have. They've got a responsibility for encouraging people to lead healthy lifestyles, giving people the opportunities to uh, lead healthy lifestyles. The health service that I work for, we've got we've got a, a responsibility, and so so are our partner um, organisations, local authority, education. We're doing some great work in some of the schools in the city in terms of um, encouraging children to to, to eat healthily at, at mm. school mm. you know when i went to school we used to have buns uh, in, in in the breaks and you know great big uh, that's what we're fat. <laughs> <laughs> they can't see me on the radio i'm very very slim um so um but and you are as well i mean you're perfectly formed so uh, um but now um, they know you're lying <laughs> but um yeah so, so i think getting it right getting it right for, for children is really really important mm. um and um Putting people on putting people on the on the right road when when they're young is 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 is, is a very really important component mm. to trying to tackle this problem. Mm. So why your specialism is in learning disability? Yes, yes, yes. I'm and, the, and how did that evolve? Like, do you have a history in your family or something, or did you just it was a career progression? Well, it wasn't a career progression. I I wanted to be I wanted to be when I went to school I wanted to be a, uh, a psychologist. Or a doctor. I wasn't sure, but I wasn't. Is that because you were a sad child, or what? No, no. I was always interested. A doctor, yes, but someone thinking, I want to be a psychologist. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was, I was interested. I was interested in people. I've always been interested in people and how people behave in different ways and how people come in different shapes and sizes. I was, I was always interested why people did some things and didn't do other things, and so, so I, I wanted to be to be um, a psychologist or a doctor. Um, when I went to, to, to university to, to study psychology, I wanted to get some experience of putting it into practice. And it was, it's very, very difficult to get work experience. It was then, and I think it still is now. And I wrote to lots of hospitals asking for, for work experience. And the job I got, the first job I got, was a, a cleaner in a small hospital for children with disabilities, people, children with physical disabilities and children with um, learning disabilities. And where was that? That was in a place called West Wickham in South London. Not Coney Hill School. No, no, no. no. It was. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the the, the hospital now. Cheney. Cheney. Cheney Hospital. Yeah, in West Wickham. Yep. And so I worked there during my vacations as a cleaner, and uh, I I saw uh, met work with um, children with very very severe uh, learning disabilities and uh, difficult behaviour, what we now call challenging behaviour, and I was just like. Why does somebody want to hit their head against the the, the wall? Why can't these people speak? Mm. Uh, and I, I just, I was just found it intellectually extremely challenging to try to understand it. And then dealing with the emotions of people's carers coping with these problems, the staff coping with these problems, and the way in which these people were sort of kind of segregated from society. Um, and because, because you know, I was, I don't know. 1920 and I never met anybody with those sorts of disabilities I mean I'd been mm. around but mm. why those people with disabilities weren't in my school and I was thought I was kind of shocked and I wanted to do something about that and it started then and that's like probably 30 years ago now a real passion to, to try to help and support work with people with learning disabilities and um, and I for the last 30 years I've worked with supporting working with people with learning disabilities and learning disability services across the West Midlands, across the country, and mm. some work, work in, in, in the States as well. Mm, mm. But fascinating, really, really rewarding work. Well, I went to a special school in Bromley, 
Did you? Coney Hill School in right. Coney Hall. Right, okay. Uh, just along from West Wickham. So. Right, right. I know Coney Hall, yeah. Yep, long yeah. time ago. But. Home on the Hill it was. Yeah. It was an awful place. Yeah. Uh, very segregated. It, when, it was, yeah. when I was there, it was specifically for people with spinal bifida. Right. But because we're okay. not born anymore for right. whatever reason, yes. they turned it into much more of a learning disability place right. over time as okay. those people with spinal bifida yeah. dried up. Yeah, yeah. So, Yes, there were lots of children with spina bifida yeah. at um, Cheney Hospital. Well, I think a lot of people from the school went to yeah. went to yeah. Ca- the, yeah. Cheney. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, how bizarre! That's a small world, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. But here we are now in the black country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've been here ten years in Wolverhampton. Yeah. And so where are you based? I'm based in a place called the Beaches at uh, Penn Hospital, mm-hmm. and um, I'm I'm. I've got a very nice office on the top floor of, of the beaches <coughs> and a number of my colleagues, um, some of the colleagues who have been involved in this project are in the adjacent office, so yeah, it's a good place to work. So you're a clinical psychologist. Mm. What does that mean? Right. Well, what do you do? What do I do? Um, well, the smug answer is, you know, a lot of people ask me what clinical psychologist is. How does that relate to a psychiatrist? And I say, well, psychiatrists peddle drugs and psychologists peddle ideas. I think that's a rather glib, glib answer. And psychologists come in all different shapes and sizes. But the sort of psychologist that I am um, is that um, I, I, I try to help people understand their difficulties. And I try to help people come up with strategies to deal with their difficulties. Sometimes we're able to come up with strategies, um, interventions that will alleviate people of difficulties. And sometimes it's about helping people cope with their difficulties. You, 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 can't, can't, you, you can't remove their difficulties, but you can help people cope with them. And I think it's really important to work with the person who's having the psychological distress. So you do a lot of one-to-one? I don't do a lot. Don't do a lot, unfortunately, these days, because I have a sort of role which is more about supporting and developing services and supporting other people who, 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 um, who do, that, do that sort of one-to-one work. But it is important for me to do that because I think that gives me credibility uh, with my colleagues, um, and, um, and and I find it immensely rewarding. It's probably the most rewarding thing that I do. The, the sort of second sort of area that that, that um, clinical psychologists work with, because psychological distress, unfortunately, is something that so so many people um, experience um, at some point in their life, um, and w- it's really important that that everybody is psychologically minded. So a lot of work that psychologists do is in terms of supporting and training other profession professionals to to think psychologically and to use psychological approaches and the third level of of work that i think clinical psychologists should do and many of us do do is to work in terms of being more strategic whether that's through research like this this project that we've been talking about the obesity project is about testing something out evaluating that Um, sometimes it's about trying to um, reconfigure services um, reconfigure the way society excludes people with disabilities. I mean, I think that's something that psychologists can be very helpful in trying to tackle, tackle those sorts of things. Um, and sometimes it's about, it's about um, standing up and, and taking a leadership role on. So um, one of the things that I, that I do now um, is I'm the clinical lead for learning disabilities across the whole of the West Midlands. And so I, I work one day a week for the Strategic Health Authority um, as, as their clinical lead 
for, for learning disabilities and trying to help and uh, address the health needs of, of people with learning disabilities across the, across the whole of the West Midlands. So how political is your job in the sense that a lot of what's going to define the future of learning disability services is politically led? So, for example, whether it's good or bad, government policies at the moment are basically shutting day centres, putting people much more into the community, which this city council is following through on because it has yeah. to because it's you know government policy it is is what do you think well i i don't see it in that way i don't see that we're closing services down um and we're taking services away from people what i see us doing is trying to provide the opportunities for people to have far more meaningful and rewarding life lifestyles so i, I think the government's policy of um, trying to increase the op employment opportunities and experiences for people with disabilities is the right one. Mm. I would like my clients to have the opportunity to go to work like I do. I really enjoy my job. I meet lots of interesting people in, in, in my job. And I'd like my my clients, my, my clients with learning disabilities to have those same sort of opportunities. Mm. And I think that, as I'm, I'm saying, in terms of a leadership role, I think it is about trying to shift services you know we're learning all the time mm. um, and sometimes that meets resistance from um, the service users service users themselves sometimes from society um, and sometimes from from, from 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 relatives but I think you know we need to have a, a direction of travel and um, we need to think at the end of the day what is going to give the person with a disability the most rewarding mm. lifestyle mm. Um, and um, so closing day centers if we, if we frame it like it's closing day centres, it sounds like we're taking something away from people. And it is, if, if that's what we're doing. But if we're trying to do supported employment, if we're giving people jobs, if we're teaching people when they're at school and when they're at college, the skills mm. that will enable them to get meaningful work, um, then that is absolutely fantastic. That is not taking things away. That's giving people what they want. Mm. Yes. And you know, when I talk to people with disabilities, and I ask them what they want. They're pretty. They're pretty clear with me what they want: good health, loads of friends, lovers, somewhere decent to live, place of their own, and some work. Hmm. And that isn't seen to me a big ask. Those those are the things that I want. And and, but, and I think we should be helping people with disabilities access those things. But given oh, and I don't doubt that for a second. I'm fully in agreement with you. But given uh, I think a glib answer to that is is society ready for that? Because they always argued that the problem with community care is that it doesn't the community doesn't care. <laughs> and, and equally, yeah. especially in times of a recession where people think, well, I want a job. Why should they be supported to getting a job? Mm. I want a job. Mm. How how do you think that's going to uh, come across? Yeah. Well. I think um, we need to prepare the community mm -hmm. and we need to support people with disabilities in um, coping yeah. in the community. Um, so what do you lead on actually the strategic kind of almost PR of the changes that are happening? Because, for example, I've had people on the show talking about they wanted to complain about the closure of day centres from yeah. services okay. and I'd say to them what is it you actually okay. want okay. and then they'd say what they right. want okay. which was exactly what was going to be provided instead of the day centre yeah. and okay. I thought well the people closing the day centres yeah. have failed to prepare kind of emotionally intellectually and publicly mm. what they're doing so mm. that it just ends up as we're closing the day centre yeah 
Yeah. When in fact it's actually what the people who were complaining about the closure of the day centre wanted. Yeah. I think it's very difficult for people with disabilities uh, and for their for their carers um, to trust services. I said I've worked with people with disabilities for 30 years now and in the 30 years that I've worked with people with disabilities those people responsible for supporting them have told them keep keeping keep giving mixed messages I mean you said it yourself that w when you went to school you know it was we were going to set up a, a special segregated school for for kiddies with, with spina bifida mm. um, then we then we talked about include in, inclusive education and when we're not having any special schools we're going to all all the kids with disabilities are going to go into mainstream schools you know um, when I first started work we were had we had learning disabilities or mental handicap hospitals and we segregated people in these hospitals then we downsized those into hostels where we had 30 people not hundreds of people living living together but 30 people living in a hostel like a, like a hotel then we went moved into into what we, we called group homes or staffed houses. We had four or five people living in ordinary houses. Now we're talking about supported living where people have their own place. And it must be difficult for the person with a disability to trust the state or the person who's selling those models of services. And certainly it must be very difficult for the carers. But I, I, I know, I've seen it firsthand, that we can equip the community to be supportive of, of people with disabilities um, and to, to be tolerant of that. But it needs to be tackling this you know, on a range of different dimensions. I, mean, mm. I think it's great that we've got inclusive education. I've got children and I think it's really important that they go to school where, they, where there are kids in all shapes and sizes. Mm. Um, and I don't know about the sizes. All oh, right, okay, no, it's about <laughs> obesity. No, but, um, but, but you know, I think it's really important that, mm. that, that that my children see, meet somebody who's got hearing impairment, meet somebody who's in a wheelchair, mm. meet somebody who's got a turban. I think that really is important, that, 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 that meeting that diversity, because that will help them as they become adults to be more tolerant and, uh, and less... I agree with you absolutely, but, I, but I'm very interested in, in that isn't one of the problems for society, is that the, the delivery of social change for the empowerment and the inclusion of people with learning disabilities and often physical disabilities is often represented in a kind of dishonest way. So, for example, a lot of the closures that happen during whatever period, and that every yeah. government does, yeah. it doesn't matter what they yeah. are, yeah. is often about efficiency and savings publicly, yeah. when in fact it, what is implemented instead will often actually cost more. Yeah. But it's the right thing to do yeah. and actually a progressive step for both the community and for yeah. the individuals. Yeah. And it's that kind of contradiction and almost dishonesty in, in the kind of politics of social change that are yeah. often a barrier to actually making it a success. Yeah. I think it... I can't it, believe I just said that, but... No. I, 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 <laughs> I, it, is, it is incredibly complicated mm. and we don't have infinite resources and we have to make some hard choices about where we're going to spend, spend the money and some of these models of support are, are very expensive. But... Um, uh, I've seen it firsthand, people with significant disabilities holding down a job, l taking a long time to learn the skills to hold that job down, but doing the job mm. very successfully. And the person who's for a long time has been dependent upon the state to support them is actually now making a contribution mm. to the economy of the country because they're earning money. Mm. And that I just think that that's, that is, 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 is so 
um, empowering for the individual. And that has got to be the, the direction of travel mm. that we, we go in. Mm. But is there not a danger that... Uh, has as has happened to many people with physical disabilities is that the kind of support services that they may need to enable them to have employment or to live independently mm. are slowly being whittled away in some instances that are actually almost forcing people into residential care again mm. and so the politics of kind of human rights for all people with uh, yeah. people with impairments yeah. is is a battle that's not been won publicly and politically no. whilst we're actually delivering it yeah. socially and culturally yeah yeah it's it's going to take time it's it, it, it's going to take time but it's it's a battle well worth having and i'm sure that eventually we will win it mm. Mm. i mean there are a number of there are a number of drivers for it i mean in terms of tackling discrimination disability discrimination um that uh, there are there are the policies i mean we, in terms of learning disabilities we've got a, 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 a the current government policies valuing people now but it's very clear in the Valuing People Now document the model of services that we should be delivering and the opportunities that people with disabilities should be having. And um, it's, it's, it's for people like me and my colleagues that work in a local authority to, to, to make this happen for people with disabilities. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and a very, very important thing is we've got to get better at is working collaboratively with service users and with their carers rather than, you know, um, at one another's, mm. Mm. I wouldn't say one another's throats, I suppose it's exaggerating, but, you know, we need to work together. And it's really important that we listen to, 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 to people with disabilities, listen to what they want, um, and to support them. So how, how much of a problem is, because I believe it to be a big problem personally, obviously I don't mind being political. I know you, you, you can't be overtly political, I suspect, within your job, but... I think one of the problems socially and culturally in in, a, in getting across that everybody can live independently, for example, uh, which I believe they can, yes, yes, they so can do I. With, without exception, yep. is we'll come to about why, what the definition of independent living, because a lot of people have misunderstood what that is. But is the is the issue of the large charities who who at necessity to raise money for what they do project a certain kind of image of of a particular impairment. Yep. Whilst they're either tendering for kind of independent living mm. uh, projects that they want to run, mm. and that's a contradiction that they're pushing one image of a disabled person, whilst either delivering one, and and that doesn't help. Yes. Well, uh, as we, as we've been discussing, the perspective on how best to support people with disabilities has changed radically over the last fifty years. And it's not surprising to me that people are going to be at different places on that journey and sometimes giving mixed messages. Um, but again, I, you know, I, I, I always bring these things down to, back to basics and it's to ask, when I sit down with service users I'm supporting and I ask them what they want, they say the same sorts of things that everybody else wants. You know, like I'm saying, they want, they want friends, they want a partner. They want somewhere nice, safe to live. They want something meaningful, worthwhile to do, a job, and they want good health. That those are the things that people with disabilities say, and some of them can articulate that very clearly, and some of them it's, it's harder for them to articulate it. But I don't hear people saying, "I don't want to have those sorts of opportunities." You know, um, 
you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not bothered about my health. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm quite happy yeah, having, being, being obese. You know, that's something. You know, doesn't matter. But what you know, I'm not bothered about that. I don't hear people saying, you know, I don't want to work. I don't want some money in my pocket. I don't want some to meet different people from the people I went to school with. And I don't hear people saying I really would like to live in a large, segregated services. Um, uh, and and the relationships is really really important as well. I think we could do so much more to help people with learning disabilities have have um, have a, a richer variety of relationships than they currently do. Mm. A very very small proportion of people with learning disabilities are married, mm. have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Mm. Um, why is that? You know, and it's partly to do with the way we design services to support people, but it isn't people choosing to do that. Let's broaden it out to kind of uh, social psychology of <laughs> of the community. Yeah. In that <laughs> almost little t- <laughs> of anxiety there. No, no, no. It's just, just you keep throwing me curveballs, but <laughs> that's okay. I'll see what I can do. In that we've, we've been talking about, you know, can the community is it is it prepared for it? Is it ready for it? I, I'm a great believer in the idea of the normal and the abnormal uh, as kind of social constructs that help define our own identities for ourselves right and that as normality is not actually defined in itself except in relation to abnormality they're abnormal so therefore i must be normal we don't go around saying i'm normal Mm. it's like i don't think about me being normal i just think about who who they are Mm. the abnormal and would you agree with that that's the first bit no, I see all of I see di- diversity on on continuums. That's how I see it. Uh, but but there are arbitrary continuums that change from era to era, and so surely the community is buying into something, some kind of notions of normal and abnormal. Hmm. I think it's about it's about for me what we need to be much better at is exposing the community to to diversity. Mm. I. I think about supporting people with learning disabilities and uh, how often do we see people with learning disabilities on television mm. and what roles do they play when they are on television? Um, that would make such a huge difference to people's perception of learning disability. You know, how often, you know, when you ask, you talk to people about what a learning disability is, Many people don't really have an understanding of. Uh, I haven't got a clue what learning disability mm. is, and although it's something that affects two percent of the population. But isn't one of the problems is that uh, it's particularly true of physical disability, uh, less so of learning disability because it isn't covered. Is that what actually you end up with is a kind of uh, an almost normalised version of abnormality that actually legitimates the ideas of normality rather than validating the idea of the spectrum. Mm. Do you get what I mean? Whether you agree with me or not? Do you get what yeah, I, mean? I do understand. Yeah, yeah. And 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 because uh, I think that's a serious problem society mm. has, mm. to the extent you could argue taking it to its logical extent to actually validate uh, difference and that kind of diversity spectrum, to actually truly achieve that, you start to unravel the entire basis of society, uh, which is rooted in a kind of an illusion of normality, a, a them and us, and with very clear hierarchies that 
you know, the first charities, the first medical things were about defining those who could and those who couldn't mm. work mm. And mm. with clear political purposes. Mm. Yes. And so I, I think that's a serious problem, especially for people with learning difficulties mm. who often can't, they shouldn't have to, but can't enter even a kind of parody of normality to achieve some kind of status, which often people with physical impairments can, mm. through uh, education right. or physical achievement. For example, that's why I think the Paralympics is incredibly popular, because what it reinforces is it's not the value of difference, but the value of sameness with an illusion of normality. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? As I say, I think it's it's interesting. I think people have different ways of um, understanding, coming to terms, dealing mm. with with disability mm. or, or difference. You know. Mm. Um, so, as a clinical psychologist, how do you deal with the notion of normal? Or do you just not have it? I personally don't have it. I, I mean, I I think people behave in uh, mm. extremes, um, and um, but do you think people have it? Your clients. Uh, society has has a belief in the normal. I think people have a, have, have expectations of what is conventional, mm. conventional, what's acceptable, um, and um, so it's accepted that people should walk around with their clothes on, even mm. when it's very very hot. Mm. That, you know, that that that's convention. Um, if somebody decides not to take to take their clothes off uh, and walk around Wolverhampton, that would be seen as seen as abnormal. But mm. you know could deal with those sorts of things <laughs> <laughs> so you've been working in the midlands for 10 years no no i've been working in the midlands a lot longer than that how long yeah. have you been in the midlands then? i think it's probably about 20 years so where now. were you before wolverhampton glorious I, wolverhampton yeah uh, i worked in shropshire before wolverhampton shropshire. and before shropshire i worked in kidderminster and before kidderminster i worked in worcester and before worcester i worked in bromsgrove so so kind of working my way around the, the and so is there a clear distinction in kind of like service delivery and attitudes or in like rural to metropolitan borough um because there's an argument uh, lots of research shows that people with uh, learning disabilities physical disabilities are much more excluded in kind of rural communities because yeah. they often don't have the the ease of access to services. Yeah, yeah. Transports would be a big challenge for mm. people. Mm. Um, um, yeah, there's there are lots of there are lots there are some differences in different parts of the West Midlands in terms of services for people with disabilities. But in terms of the direction of travel, the vision for services, I don't think there are um, huge variations um, in, in in services. Mm. And there are there are. I mean, like when I worked in in Shropshire. You know, spend a long time going doing domiciliary visits, a lot of driving around. Mm. Whereas Wolverhampton, um, it's it's a, it, relatively speaking, it's a small place. But you know, a third of the households in Wolverhampton don't have cars, mm. so you s still we sh we need to make our services accessible to people, provide domiciliary services if that's appropriate, or you know, help help make sure that the services where settings where we see people are accessible mm. by public transport. So. Mm. Some of the similar challenges, some similar challenges, are in rural areas as they are in in, in urban areas. Mm -hmm. And so, being from Bromley, obviously your idol is David Bowie, <laughs> as he's the only famous person from Bromley. Oh, I think there's a few others. Oh, there. come on then, tell uh, me. I think Christopher Wren had a time in Bromley as well. <sighs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had a time in Bromley, but that was passing through. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yes, David Bowie, yes, yes. The legend of Bromley. Yes, David uh, Bowie, yes. Peter Frampton, I think, was also from... He was, yes. ...from, from Bromley or Beckenham, yeah. I'm right. a big fan of Peter Frampton, so oh, yeah. I, I occasionally right. play a bit of Peter Frampton. I do, really, all oh, right. Well, <laughs> it's a blast from the past, isn't it? <laughs> and David Bowie, yeah, yeah, yes. Have he not... got married in Bromley. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, opposite the Mitre pub. There's a registry office, he got married there. There's yeah. also an academic called Richard Dyer. Have you ever heard of him? He no. writes a lot about gay studies. He did a book on whiteness in cinema about right. being white, right? Uh, which I'd recommend. So, right. uh, I'll he, have to look that up. He's out. from Bromley as well. Okay. He was my PhD supervisor. You said. Ah, uh, right, right. <laughs> we used to talk about Bromley. Hmm. Ah, sad small little world that we live in. <laughs> and and so where? What's the next big project you're going to try and develop then? that you can release the information about, at least as an idea. Okay, all right. Well, one of the things that um, we're um, planning to do is a thing called a self-assessment framework. And I'm very, very excited about this. But essentially what we've got are 25 standards about the health care for people with learning disabilities. And what we are asking all of the patches, all of the PCTs across the West Midlands, the, 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 the health trusts, is to assess their services against these standards. And for each of the standards, we've got three criteria. Um, one is that you're just beginning to work on it. Two, that you're, you're well on the way with this, addressing the standard and, 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 um, and, and uh, Three is actually you've made you know, considerable progress in terms of uh, uh, meeting this, the standard of healthcare for people with disabilities. Now, I think this is going to be really, really helpful for us because it will enable um, uh, the health community, um, people with learning disabilities, to know just how good the healthcare is for people with learning disabilities in their patch. We'll know what areas, where, which areas we need to improve on, and we'll know whether we're improving. Uh, which I'm sure we will do, um, or whether we're not. And um, so I think that's that's really, really exciting, mm. um, really, really exciting. And that's um, we that will be live. We'll have the first assessments of all of the PCTs across the West Midlands uh, by April next year. So everybody will be able to know how good their health services are for people with disabilities. And you're going to publish that? That will be that will be av uh, um, available. It will be we'll make sure that that's um, shared with the Learning Disabilities Partnership Boards. And we've got, tw I think, about 20 of those or 22 of those across the West Midlands. And those are multi-agency groups um, with service users and carers representations who are responsible for the strat local strategy for learning disability services. So they will all have, I mean, they'll be instrumental in doing those assessments. So they will know how good their services are. Mm. And that will be that information will be publicly available. And I think that's really, really helpful. We'll know how good our services are and where we need to improve. Can you give us an example of a couple of standards? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that we need to know is um, uh, people people learning disabilities should have um, um, health action plans um, and those should be reviewed every year. So that is one of the standards that's in this self-assessment framework. So we should know who people people we should know the people with a learning disability are i mean in wolverhampton we can anticipate and the order of about five thousand people with a learning disability live in wolverhampton and we need to have those people registered with their gp so that we know they've got a, a, a learning disability and that's kind of a, a, a well, that's an example of a, another one of those standards 
So what mechanisms have you got in place to, to, to do that and how much information have you got? So I think that's the, those those sorts of things are that that is a very exciting project you've got. Something that's a smaller scale project, um, which is very different because that's something that's going right across the West Midlands. But we've got an exciting project on speed dating for people with disabilities at the moment. And um, I think that's you know that's 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 very different, very different. So this is a collaboration between um, our shout, which is an advocacy group for people with disabilities and people with disabilities, um, and the PCT and uh, the local authority. And we've been organising speed it's dating. A, it's a co-production. Co-production. That's the new social services buzzword. Isn't oh, it? right. Okay. Everything's a co-production. Collaboration. Okay. Co-production. But we 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 organizing and running speed dating for people with disabilities to try to tackle this issue about the opportunities for developing relationships mm -hmm. and I'm really excited about that um, we've had some, we've 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 we're doing that um, we're doing that for about six months now um, we've got some support and interest from Warsaw so some people from Warsaw are coming over and, and involved in that and it's 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 new territory for us we haven't done that sort of thing before and there are a few places around the country that are doing it, mm. but um, I'm really pleased that we're, we're, we're having a go at that. So are, are learning disability services uh, much of a uh, postcode lottery? Combined with that question is, is it your job to ensure that that's not the case across the West Midlands? And equally, how do you see the West Midlands in a kind of national context? Three questions. If right. Okay. I think that... Uh, there is huge variation in the quality of learning disability services across the country. Everywhere has examples of exemplary services. So some very good things go on in Wolverhampton. We've got some very good example of supported living arrangements for people with learning disabilities in Wolverhampton. Um, I think the work we're doing in terms of health promotion it, 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 it is, is, is very exciting and it's, it's, it's cutting edge. Um, there are other parts of the West Midlands where they've got doing a, had a lot more success in terms of supported employment, and much further down the road in terms of supported employment. So there's 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 everywhere there are significant areas where they have to work on to improve services, but everywhere across the the, the region there are examples of of good practice. And I think that's one of the challenges in, in my clinical lead role for the, for, for 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 the West Midlands. I'm tr identifying good practice. And I want to bring that to the attention of other services. There's no point people um, reinventing the wheel. We need to learn from good practice and share that. Um, so one of the things I'm trying to do is to make sure that um, I'm putting people in touch with one another so they can learn from one another. And as I said, when we started talking about this health promotion project here in Wolverhampton, we went over to Coventry to see what they were doing over there and pinch some of their ideas and to put them in, in practice here. And I think that's great. And um, I hope that people in the... Um, in the, the West Midlands will be interested in what we're doing in terms of speed dating and get that going in other parts of the West Midlands if that if that proves to be successful. National context? National context. I don't think West Midlands is is any better or any worse really than services um, um, in, in, in the other parts of parts of the country. Um, again I'd say the same thing that in, in different parts of the country they've got there are there are some some differences in t one of the one of the things that I'm interested in um, is out of area placements unfortunately what does that mean what does that mean is placement? that the, the the policy the government policy and again it's asking what people with disabilities want they want to live with their family in their in the community that they 
grew up by and large. Okay, some people want to move away, want to go and live by the seaside, but most people that are born in Wolverhampton want to stay with their family and in the area that that, that, that they they know and they're familiar with. But from time to time, we end up sending people away from Wolverhampton um, because we don't have the sort of support in Wolverhampton to support them. And that is at huge cost to the individual. Sometimes they lose connections with their family. Um, they go into unfamiliar um, areas. They don't know the people that they're, they're now living with or working with. And that is of that 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 is of, of concern to, to, to us and there are variations that some parts of the some parts of the country have fewer people out of area and they're able to support their people locally um, so there's that's one of the areas that there is there is variation and the self-assessment framework that I talked about is something that other parts of the country have all have been doing for a year or two and we're a bit behind in terms of doing that but then you know, there are areas in the West, some practices in the West Midlands which are, you know, are very, very good. So, are your services, learning disability services, and kind of the health and learning disability services, do you think they'll be quite well protected if there's a change of government in April, May, June, which there almost definitely will be? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, I don't hear anything in terms of policy from the Conservative Party. And that would contradict that. I think, uh, and we are within, I think, both social care and certainly in health, I, I can talk a bit more authority about, we are anticipating that there's going to be financial pressure. And I think that what we have to do, what we have to do is to be smarter. We have to make the resources we go, use those most effectively. And the out-of-area placements is a good example of that. These placements are extremely expensive. And we ought to be asking ourselves, could we provide a better quality service locally for the people for the same amount or less? Mm. Um, because mm. if we could if we could do that, if we could say, yes, we could support these people. Can you give us an example of something that someone might have to go out of area for? Yeah. If somebody um, has um, very, very difficult behaviour, challenging behaviour, um, and they um, perhaps are very aggressive or perhaps they're injuring themselves a lot, um, it'd be very difficult for their parents to look after them, very difficult to, to cope at school, very, very difficult for um, uh, uh, them to, 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 to live with a number of other people with disabilities. And so sometimes somebody with that sort of um, characteristics, we would send them to a, a placement out of area where perhaps they have more specialised skills in supporting those individuals, or um, perhaps they say they do, but perhaps they don't have them um, but um, so that that would be an example of why somebody might go out of area um, sometimes people go out of area because they fall out with their family and they don't want to be with their family and it's really perfectly appropriate for them to be not living in Wolverhampton living somewhere else I think people should have that that sort of choice and sometimes it is in, in the person's best interest and there are some very very specialist services that um, are out of area um, because we have very um, unusual needs and very complicated needs and we just don't have the the expertise it wouldn't make sense to have the expertise because it's just a small number of people but I do think and I know other colleagues agree with me that we do need to be looking at that and thinking about what systems we have to put in place to be able to support people 
in the mm. in the mm. city. But that comes back to the point that you were making earlier on: is that we need to have a society that can be tolerant and accept that. If we've got people making large amounts of noises or have cars parking up because people need intensive staffing, you know, society we've got to be able to mm. tolerate that and support mm. that. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't want to be sending people. I, I feel uncomfortable about sending people away from Wolverhampton unless they want to go away from Wolverhampton. <laughs> Why would anybody want to go away from Wolverhampton? Absolutely. Uh, so, because uh, we're coming to the end, we've only got about two minutes left. Oh, right. You didn't realise you'd nearly done an hour. Yes, well, you said <laughs> ten minutes. God dear me. Uh, I forgot what I was going to ask you then. Uh, training for health and social welfare staff. Yes. Uh, are you trying to get in at the early stages of that? Yes, to try yes, and change yes, their yes, yes. One of the things that um, one of the, one of the things I've been um, asked to have a look at in my role um, as a, as a clinical lead for the, the West Midlands is is the issue of workforce planning. And what we what we've done is is to, is to think about three groups of people really. Uh, there are a group of staff who from time to time come into contact with people with learning disabilities. People perhaps work in an accident emergency department or in a GP practice. And, and, and those people have got to be able to understand and support and have the right attitudes and values towards pe uh, people with learning disabilities. That's, that's one group of staff. Then there's a group of staff who spend most of their time supporting people with disabilities. They might be working in residential services or vocational services, and they need to have the skills to understand and engage and support people with disabilities and then there's another group of what I would call specialist practitioners like social workers who are organizing packages of care for people um, for psychologists who are helping people with their with, with, with their distress and so we're looking at those those three groups and uh, making sure that they've got the training that enable them to do the job mm. they need to do mm. Excellent. And so uh, I was going to say people can't contact you to get on this project, can they? The the health one that we originally talked no, about. No, no. Uh, but if they just keep their eye on it, particularly the Learning Disability Partnership Board newsletter. That's right, yeah. That's the key yep. way to put uh, people into contact. So I'll just say uh, thank you, <coughs> Dr Ivan Burgess. Thank you. For coming on the show.